Bible, please, the book of Acts, chapter number 1. Acts, Acts chapter 1, please. How many of you have your Bible? Hold it up in the air. Let me see if you're still bringing your Bibles. Are you still bringing your Bible? Okay, bring your Bible. You won't know if the preacher is telling you the truth or not if you don't have a Bible, will you? <laughs> Acts chapter 1. Stand with me, if you will, please, as we honor God's Word, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And read it with me. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And then if you would turn with me, please, to chapter 4 of the book of Acts, chapter 31, Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And the result of being filled with the Spirit is they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, great unity. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. There was a spirit of generosity, unselfishness, a servant attitude. And verse 33, with great power gave the apostles What's the next word? Witness. Say it with conviction. Witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Chapter 5 and verse 32. Acts 5 and 32. Let's read it together. Everybody good and firm aloud. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. Now look up here, and I'm going to read to you Psalm chapter 126, and the last two verses, 5 and 6. They that sow in tears, obviously that implies a burden, a broken heart for people that need Christ. Sowing in tears is a phrase that has the idea that we have a great concern for lost people. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Here's one of the secrets to joy in the Christian's life. And he that goeth forth and weepeth, there again is the heart, the broken heart, the concern, the deep concern for people. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, that's the gospel, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Thank you, and you may be seated. Well, we have just finished our seventh week of uh, Fill the City, this effort that we have to take the gospel here to our community. And you can see on the scoreboard, we're at 14,003 homes, and we're right on track. Now, I didn't make that 
uh, gold. <laughs> I mean, we didn't, we didn't uh, mess with those figures to get, <laughs> to get that gold up to 14. It just happened like that. We took what the people turned in, and that's an honest report there. In seven weeks, we've knocked on 14,003 doors, and uh, we should have knocked on 14,000. So it's kind of a coincidence that it would be that close, but it is. And I just rejoice in that. Our goal, of course, is 2,000 homes a week and to knock on 25,000 doors this summer. And uh, we call it Fill the City. It's based on the Bible here in the book of Acts where it says, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, referring to the early church and the early apostles. Now, the model for our church, the pattern for this church is the church in the book of Acts. We call it the Acts 2 church because that's when it really flourished. That's when things really began to happen in the book of Acts. And our vision is to, on the 50th anniversary of this church, that would be next November the 3rd, mark the date on your calendar, Please don't say, I didn't know when it was when, that day, okay? But on November, I think it's the 3rd, 1st Sunday, November, next year, the church will be 50 years old. And our goal will have been to be able to announce to this congregation, we have filled our city with our doctrine. We have gone to every door that's possible in this community and we've taken the gospel of Jesus Christ to them just like it says we're supposed to do here in the Bible, in the book of Acts. That's our vision. That's my dream. That's what I'm praying for. And I believe it is, I believe I share that with many, many of you. Now, today I want to talk to you about our greatest challenge. I had another message completely prepared, and then at the last minute I changed it because I feel very burden, very, very desirous that we really reach these goals and that we really have a heart for doing what the Lord commanded His churches to do until Christ comes, our greatest challenge. And I would tell you right off the bat, number one, witnessing is God's preferred way of bringing people to Jesus Christ. That's why we're doing fill the city, and so many of the other things that we're doing here. Witnessing is God's preferred way of bringing people to Christ. When I use the word witnessing, let me explain it. I probably don't need to, but there might be someone that needs to hear it today, and I want to just clarify and simplify in every way that I can so that we'll all be on the same page and have the very same mission and the very same purpose. The word witness simply means that one person tells another person about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's as simple as I can make it, isn't it? A witness is one who tells another person about the Lord Jesus Christ. The word witness really is a legal word. It comes from the judicial world, the world of the courtroom, where someone has observed some happening. It might be a car wreck. It might be a crime. It might be some other uh, event that has occurred. And the person who has seen this and heard this and knows about this firsthand, this person stands in the courtroom as a witness. 
they put their hand upon the Bible, and they are sworn to tell the truth. You tell the truth. Will you tell the truth? So help you, God. And don't add to it. Don't take anything from it. You tell what you've seen and what you've heard. That is a legal uh, definition or a, a use of the word. Of course, the person tells what they have seen and what they've heard about some particular event. However, there's something else that comes into play, and it's very important, and that is the person's own personal credibility. We sometimes talk about impeaching the witness in the legal world, which means we have discovered that this witness will lie or has already lied, or this witness has all kinds of problems in their life that that uh, destroys their credibility. And so the witness is not reliable, which means to us as Christians today that it is our character and our our Christ-like lifestyle that is very, very important when we go to witness. If we witness to the claims of Jesus Christ, if we talk about Jesus and we don't walk Jesus, then, of course, our witness is weakened, and it's nullified by that. And so the witness testifies to the facts. And sometimes a witness will begin to talk about what someone told them, and the judge will stop them. No, we don't care what someone told you. What did you see? What have you experienced? What did you hear? What do you know firsthand? No secondhand testimony is allowed in the courtroom. And no feelings are allowed. No, no opinions are allowed. Well, I think, Your Honor, uh-uh, you can't say that. You tell us what you have seen. You tell us what you have heard. You stick to the facts. We're not interested in your feelings. We're not interested in your opinions. Tell us what you have experienced yourself. And so the witness testifies. And we bring that terminology right here into the church, don't we? And we talk about testifying. And so uh, the young lady gave us our testimony this morning of leading someone to Christ at the youth camp this week. She told us the facts of the case, that there was a young woman there who had never been in a church service. And during the week, her heart became convicted that she wanted to know Christ as her Savior. And so she witnessed to her. She shared the gospel. She told her the facts concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. We've always got to stick with the facts about Jesus. Yes, we have strong feelings about Jesus. Yes, we have opinions about Jesus. But you know what? God never promised to honor my opinions or my feelings. He promised only to honor the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that is the power of God to save people from their sins. And so we share the gospel. We stick with the facts. And we talk about who was Jesus. Witnessing means I tell people, who was Jesus Christ? He wa- it means that I tell people about what Jesus did here. To witness means that I tell people why I believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And I communicate to them the great truths of the Scripture, of the Bible, about Jesus Christ. It's really not about the church. People go out, and they're so proud of their church, and, boy, I'm thrilled with that, 
But you know what? Nobody ever got saved hearing about how great the Florence Baptist Temple was. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the facts about Jesus Christ, the facts as given in the Holy Scripture. And we tell that to people. And we tell it once, or we tell it twice, or we tell it a hundred times, depending on the circumstances. But we never cease to tell it. That's what they did here. And when they started in the book of Acts in chapter 1, there were 120 Christians on the entire planet. 300 years later, the entire Roman Empire declared itself to be a Christian empire. Now, that, we can debate that, but the point is there was a mammoth turning to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Tens of millions of people came to Christ in the first three centuries because these Christians witnessed. They didn't have television. They didn't have radio. They didn't have a single Christian bookstore. They didn't have a youth camp. They didn't have a retreat. They didn't have a Christian concert. They didn't have anything that we think is so important in our world today, they only had one thing. They had an experience with Jesus Christ. They had met the living Christ, and they were ready to tell about it, to tell what they had seen and what they had heard, and the Holy Spirit of God was upon them, and it swept millions of people into the kingdom of God. Witnesses, witnesses. You know the word witness in the Greek language comes from a Greek word, martus. You know what is translated in in other places? Martyrs. It's the same word translated for martyr. These people knew that when they talked about Christ, their very life was at stake. And they called them the martyrs before they even died, before they were killed meaning these are the people who are willing to lay down their life for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, you think about that, how far we have come today. I want you to notice one other thing in chapter 4 and verse 2. The early church emphasized something more than I think we do today in their witness. In chapter 4 and verse 2, being grieved that they taught the people. These are the officials in the city. They were grieved that, that the apostles taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were grieved. They opposed the idea that these people were telling people that there was a resurrection through the Lord Jesus Christ. They opposed it. If you'll turn then, chapter number 4, they emphasize the resurrection. Chapter 4 and verse 33, notice again. With great power, the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you will go further with me here, go over to chapter 17, all the way over to chapter 17. In this incident, the apostle Paul stands on Mars Hill in Athens, Greece, where there's all these philosophers have gathered together. Greece then was the home of wisdom and, and philosophy. The Apostle Paul addresses these Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. 
And what does he say to them? If you look down in verse number 18 at the end of the verse, it says, he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. He preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And look in verse 32. When these philosophers heard of the resurrection of the dead, they had mixed opinions. Some of them mocked, as people do today. And we go and we share the gospel of Christ and talk about the living Savior, and there are people who laugh. They mock. They scorn. That's incredible to them. It's incredulous. A man rose from the dead, and they, they just write it off as, as silliness. It's ridiculous to them. And then notice there were others there who said, we will hear you again of this matter. Uh, we'd like to know more about this. Can you give me more information, more facts, they said. And then others of them, however, believed. It said down in verse 34. Some of them accepted the facts that Jesus Christ died on the cross that he was buried for three days, which was proof, evidence, that he, in fact, was dead, graveyard dead. (laughs) And then that on the third day, Jesus Christ arose. You know, I can't prove that to you. That's, That's something you will have to take by faith. You will have to study the Bible and see the credibility of the Bible And in having come to believe that the Bible is, in fact, the inspired Word of God, that you will then say, I accept it based upon the testimony of the Scripture itself and the other people who were there, the many witnesses who were there whose testimony is found in the Scripture. You have over 500 people that saw Jesus Christ alive after His resurrection. Over 500. So 500 people testifying to, I saw that man. He was alive. He was living. I can't deny what my eyes have seen. And they witnessed to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, witnessing means then that we today, 2,000 years later, we share our story. We tell what we have experienced and what we have seen and what we have heard, what we know to be true in our own lives. We, we witness when we tell people how they too can know Christ, how they can be saved. We tell them how we were saved. And then we, of course, witness to the people when we tell them what Christ has done for us, the help that it's been in our life, what it means to us, and the reason we believe that Jesus Christ has saved us. I've been studying and reading two or three books here recently on the subject of persecution. You see, we don't know anything here in America about persecution. And in America today, we are absolutely blind of what is happening to Christians around the world. Tens of thousands of people are dying for Christ, hundreds of thousands each year. In the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, uh, Iran, Iraq, Nigeria, and Africa, persecution is rampant. People are dying for Jesus Christ. They're being killed in all kinds of inhumane ways with some of these groups over there, ISIS and 
and uh, Al-Qaeda and all these. They hate Christianity, and people are dying. And all across the Hindustan and Uzbekistan and all those strange names to Americans, we can't even find it on the map. But people are dying for the cause of Christ. And during the days of the Soviet Union and the communists, people died by the tens of thousands for Jesus Christ. And during the days of the Nazis, tens of thousands of people died for Jesus Christ. And we've never known that to happen. I don't know if it's ever happened in this country where somebody died for their faith in Christ. And we've been going so long now and everything's been so wonderful, we don't, we don't even think of the possibility of that. Now, I read a number of books, Tortured for Christ, Extreme Devotion. All of them accounts, hundreds of accounts of people who've suffered for Christ. The Insanity of God, the strange, very strange title. But the idea is, what is God allowing people to go through what they go through for? And you know what the bottom line of those books, the bottom line of what those books are saying is, really? That the greatest witness to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is when people in deep suffering, people who have been imprisoned for years, people who have been beaten and spat upon, people in deep suffering, and yet they cannot be broken by any cruel means that their captors can consider. And they have joy in their hearts. They continue to worship the Lord. Oh, I wish, I'm going to tell you some of those stories one of these days. The man who was a pastor in Russia a number of years ago. And he was arrested and taken to prison and they beat him. They incited the other prisoners against them who would take human feces and come by his cell and throw it in his face. Cursed him and railed against him. Beatings during the night. And all he had to do was renounce Jesus Christ. But he didn't. He was there for 15 years. And every morning when the sun came up, he could see it come up through a little slit in the wall, a window. And every morning he stood and he looked out at the sun and he sung a song of praise to Jesus Christ. And at first they took their cups and rattled them on the bars. They hollered and hooted and scorned him and laughed at him. But day after day after day after day he was faithful. And the scorning stopped. And the noise stopped. Because there was a respect. How does this man go on in his suffering? And his suffering was a witness to them of the power of God and the reality of Jesus Christ. And one day they took him, and the guards came and opened the cell, and they drug him out. And they said, today you will die they stood him up in the place of execution. And they said, do you want to say anything? And he sung his song again. 
And then they manacled him. And they drug him back in the jail. It was all a farce to try to get him to change his mind and renounce Christ. When they opened the door and he came in, 1,500 prisoners stood to their feet and applauded. And they began to sing that song with him every morning. When we suffer, it is the greatest opportunity we will ever have to prove the power of God. It's the greatest time we have to witness with credibility. Witnessing is God's preferred way of bringing people to Christ. Now, the message is our greatest challenge. What is the greatest challenge? The greatest challenge is how do we effectively witness in this culture that we're in? When I came to Florence, I'd knock on the door. Honestly, I don't mean this, I certainly don't mean this in a boastful way. People were happy that the pastor had come to see them. Come on in, preacher. Have a seat. Drink. You want to drink a cup of coffee? Here's a piece of pie. I mean, it, you know. I, and today I knock on the door. I hear a little footstep running. I hear them saying to the dog, shh, don't bark. I hear all kinds of stuff going on in there. There was a ball game, I believe I heard. No, it was the British Open. And the door never is open. been a big change in America about the way we view the gospel and the way we view Christian workers coming to talk to people about the Lord. It's a sad change that's happened here in our country. You know, one of the real problems we have and the challenges we have in witnessing, listen carefully to me. I thought about this deeply before I said it. I wrote it down. I want you to not miss it. We live in such an evil, corrupted culture today that very honestly, it has coarsened and hardened the hearts of people. What used to move them no longer moves them. They're coarse. Their consciences are seared. Their hearts are hardened by the sin that's around them. The media the vile language. Oh, I never thought I would live to see people using the words that they use openly and flagrant. They're not just using them in movies. Now they're using them on the newscasts. It's everywhere. And you know what? After we hear that and hear that and hear that, it coarsens us. It affects you and me as well as the person who may not yet know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We live in a culture where people have sought to insulate and isolate themselves. They no longer are available. We knock on the door, they don't answer. We call them on the phone, and they have a phone that tells them who is calling. I don't want to talk to anybody that might want to talk to me about the gospel. They have isolated themselves. All the devices are turned off, and you can't 
you can't get to people to have that conversation from the heart that you really want to have with them. And so it's a challenge for us to get the gospel to people. Affluence has permitted people to fill their life so full of activities that honestly, until some crisis comes, they don't feel their need of God. They have everything. They don't need the Lord, so they think. And our challenge is how, how do you tell people who have everything and are, and are living the dream that the greatest need they have in their life is the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you convince people of that when they're on their way to the beach for the 29th time this summer? How do you, how do you convince them that the greatest need that they have is Jesus. And so we have challenges like we've never had before. Dennis Nunn, the evangelist, drove through town Thursday afternoon and called me and wanted to know if we could eat dinner with him and his wife. And so Norm and I met them. And Dennis, of course, is, uh, his whole thing is about witnessing, sharing your story, telling people about the Lord Jesus. And he spends his life doing that, and I've never met a man that was more enthusiastic about it. Him and, him and Mark Cahill, they just, they just thrill me when I'm around them for their commitment to witnessing for Christ. And Dennis and I are sitting there talking about the Lord's work and the changes and how difficult it is to get to the people. You can't, it, it's so hard to have that sit down, heart to heart, one-on-one conversation where we can talk to people about the deep things, the real issues of life, not the supernatural stuff, superficial stuff that we talk about so often. And Dennis and I were talking, and he said, you know, people no longer respond to invitations to church. We used to could invite 10 people to church, and two of them would come to church. But their life is so full, and they're, they're so coarsened, and hardened by the culture, the sin, the depravity, the corruption around them, that they're, they're not as responsive, and they don't feel they need to come to church. What, what is it going to do for me? And he said, Bill, the only way we're going to reach people today on any scale at all is we, our people have to have a burden and a heart to talk to the people that they know and the people that are around them, and if we can't do that, they're not going to come to church until they come to know the Lord, not at least in any, in, in any great numbers. It may have always been true to some degree. When our country fights a war, we have these ships and submarines. They can sit off the coast, and they can shoot missiles with pinpoint accuracy now. And we have the planes that can fly over and We've seen them on television. We know what they can do. We have the artillery, sophisticated weaponry. And yet, I heard a man say not long ago, we have never won a war. We have never completely broken the enemy with ships and planes and guided missiles. It takes boots on the ground. It takes the Marines, it takes the Army, it takes the special ops who go in and one-on-one, they attain the victory.
I believe that's true in the spiritual realm where we operate as well. I believe it's true that we can have the television, the internet, all the different methods that we have to get the gospel to people. But you know, the most effective thing we'll ever do is one-on-one put our heart, our hot heart up against their cold heart and share with them what Jesus Christ has done in our life. And that's the way that God intended it to be, that Witnessing is God's preferred way of bringing people to Christ. Number two, witnessing is still God's command, too. It's a command of the Lord. It's not an option. It's not something we pray about. If you're a serious Christian, you have to take seriously that command that we're to witness. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of specific information about how to do it because it leaves that up to us. That's our individual personalities of how we would present the Christ to other people. But it's a command. Over and over and over I read the command. It's repeated time after time, and yet I know preachers who don't obey that command. I know staff members who are disobedient to that command. Deacons, Sunday school teachers, lay leaders in the church. The statistics tell us that 95% of Christians never witness. Thank God that's not true in this church. You can look over there and see there's a lot of people that are committed to witnessing here at the Baptist temple. But I've tried to analyze why is it that people don't witness. I think I've pretty well covered the field here. One, we just have a natural reluctance about talking to people about deep things, and especially if they tend to be controversial. We fear that we will embarrass or offend other people. I even heard a man say, I'm not going to go out on that thing over there. I don't want to bother people. Tragic indeed, my friend, if you feel that way. Bothering people? Do we bother the doctor when we go and say, I've got all the signs of cancer? No, we don't, but we're going there for help, for for healing. Do we bother a person when we tell them about the only hope they have of being in eternity with the Lord? Are we bothering people? No. What a low view of our faith and of Christianity and salvation. Other times, I think we fear that they will ask us a question that we can't answer. The truth is, they don't expect you to be a theologian. They don't expect you to have all the answers. And witnessing is not defending the faith. Witnessing is telling another person about what Jesus Christ is to you and what he's done for you. Some people don't witness because they're frankly ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're embarrassed to be identified with the cause of Christ. The old song says, am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And then it asks this question, do I fear to own his cause, or do I blush to speak his name? Do I blush that anybody would think that I'm identified with Jesus Christ? Surely not. 
Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the only thing that has the power of God to save men. And then sometimes we don't witness because of sin in our own life. And sin shuts our mouth. It stops our witness. And so we're reluctant. It takes away our boldness. The early Christians had those same fears that you and I have. I can tell you that. The people in the book of Acts, they feared the same things we do. And I want you to look with me again in Acts chapter 4. You know what they did to overcome their fears? They prayed constantly, constantly they prayed for boldness. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus, they saw the boldness these men were, the the desire to share the, the message of the Lord. Chapter 4 and verse 29. Lord, behold the threatenings of the council here, and grant unto your servants that with all boldness, they prayed for boldness. Give us boldness, Lord, that we won't care what somebody thinks about our witness to you. Chapter 31 When they had prayed, the place was shaken. Skip to the end of the verse. They spake the word of God with boldness. I go to Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 20. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it for you. And the apostle Paul said, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall ever be ashamed, but that with all boldness, Christ will be magnified in my body, he said. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19, the apostle Paul is praying, and he prays that God will give him utterance and that he will open his mouth boldly to speak about Jesus Christ. And then I think an interesting thing, deacons, give me your attention. Are the deacons listening this morning? 1 Timothy 3 and 13. The character, one of the characteristics of deacons is boldness. Deacons are men who have grown beyond timidity. They have grown bold in the faith, and they are want to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. I grew up in a pastor's home, a godly home, a godly mom, a godly dad. And very honestly, I was a very nominal Christian through school, In high school over in Sumter, I don't recall ever witnessing to anybody. I was a little embarrassed that I was a preacher's son. And I didn't want people to know what I really felt. Now, in my heart, I loved the Lord, but I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was timid, and my mouth was shut, and I never did talk to anybody about the Lord. And later on, through a long circumstance I won't tell you about, I met a pastor, and I went to work for him in the area of music. And even working in the area of music, I was not a witness on the staff of a church. Then one day, the man gave me a little book, and I began to read the book, and I've told you about it. It's a book by Dr. Howes. It was Let's Go Soul Winning. And I went with my pastor, and I watched him sit and take the Bible, and he would open his Bible, and people would end up weeping 
and coming to Christ and joining the church and getting baptized, and their whole life would change because of that man's witness to them. And I said, I want to do that. God moved in my heart. And I began to take that little book and just simply do what it said. And finally, one day, I won my first person to the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot tell you the joy that flooded over my being. And to watch that man, an old mechanic that I led to Christ in a garage, and to watch him with grease under his fingernails, just a plain old working man, walk down the aisle of that Baptist church and put his faith in Christ, I'll tell you, I've never experienced anything that brought me so much joy as that first soul. And when I started to witness, I crossed a line in my Christian life. Up until then, I was a nominal Christian. I was a believer, but I was not witnessing. And when I took that step over that line, boy, it changed everything for me. It was the single greatest step in my personal development as a Christian. You see, when our desire to please the Lord becomes greater than our fears, we witness. So witnessing is our greatest challenge. Have you witnessed to all the people that you know that are in your world, the people that you know? I mean your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors. Think about this. God put you where you are in the family that you're in, in the city that you're in. Everything about your life was providentially directed by God. And if you're a Christian, you are a missionary to those people. Friends, relatives, associates with whom you work, neighbors, other relationships that you have. You might be the last chance they will ever have to hear a clear, loving, non-pressured, personal presentation of who Jesus Christ is. God put you where you are, when you are, and how you are for a reason. Will you let him use you today, my friend? You're the one who can most effectively get the gospel to those people. Share your story. Tell them how you got saved. You don't have to do it all in one sitting because you're gonna, these are people you know. Tell them why you believe, what you believe from the Scripture. At an appropriate time, whenever that is, share the gospel of Christ. The goal is not to get a profession. The goal is to see a life changed and the Lord Jesus Christ inhabit that person. And then to witness to strangers, to take the random opportunities that we have. They're everywhere. I think the tracks are such a good idea. I carry little Bible tracks with me all the time. I took this one the other day. It has Looks like an eight, but when you turn the track over the right way, it's an infinity symbol. I walked up to the cashier at a restaurant where we'd eaten, and I said, by the way, do you know what that is? She said, yeah, that's the infinity 
sign. I said, that's right. You know what the infinity sign stands for? She said, no. I said, eternity. It never ends. It never begins. It's just always, just like that. Eternity is duration without end. Duration without end. It always is. I said, I'd like for you to read that. It tells you about where you might spend eternity. She said, I don't want that thing. I'm an atheist. I wasn't offended. She didn't turn Bill Monroe down. She turned down Jesus Christ. It didn't bother me a bit. And I, I said, well, I'm sorry. You really better think about that because once you go into eternity, you can't back up. And she said, oh, I know all that stuff. My grandfather was a preacher. I thought somewhere on this planet, there's a broken-hearted old preacher that his, his grandchild proclaims herself to be an atheist. But you know what? I walked out of there not downtrodden and discouraged. I walked out of there with joy in my heart. I have obeyed what the Lord Jesus Christ said I'm supposed to do. I gave her her chance. We've given 14,003 households a chance. We put the gospel, we put a copy of the scripture in their home. And so feel good about it, church, and thank the Lord about it. And continue to witness. You may be that one person in a line of 20 people who will witness to that stranger, and that stranger will come to Christ. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me witness to you, okay? Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God. Jesus Christ came to the earth through the miracle of a virgin birth. He lived on the earth for 33 years, a sinless and a perfect life. He did all these miracles to give credibility to the fact that he was, in fact, the Son of God. And then he died a horrendous death, a horrible death, a sacrificial death, a bloody death, as he suffered for the sins of humanity on the cross. Three days later, he resurrected from the grave. I would like to say he's the greatest man that ever lived, but that would be to devalue him. He's far and above the greatest man that ever lived. He's the Son of God. He is the God-slash-man, 100% God, 100% man. And he died for your sins, and he loves you today. And today, if you've never come to Christ, oh, it would be my joy to show you how you could do that. Now, here's what we do in our church. We stand in a moment. We're going to sing a song. If you would like to come, I or one of the men who work with me here uh, as my colleagues on the staff of the church, we'll sit down and we'll talk to you. We're not going to pressure you into anything. You might want to study the evidence first because you see there's got a lot of evidence that Jesus Christ is who he said he was that most people never get a chance to learn. We'll help you that. We'll help you with those questions. You can study the evidence. And we want to invite you to come. There are other people here today. You're Christians already, but you'd like to join our church. And then there are others here today that you'd like to be baptized tonight when we have our baptismal service. And you've been saved, but you've not yet followed the Lord in baptism. And so whatever your need... I'd like for you to give you an invitation to respond. Would you stand with your feet with me?
to your feet with me, please.